Good evening. My name is Fritz Games. If I haven't met you, uh, if you are especially uh, in town or visiting us because of Good Friday, I would like to extend my welcome to you as well and invite you back, obviously, for Easter, uh, which is probably my favorite Sunday uh, of the year. Um, what we heard read tonight, there's just a dozen beautiful sermons and what we heard read. It was really, really hard to pick what uh, to focus on. Um, and I decided to use the last text that Leroy read. Uh, what I want us to do tonight is I want us to peer inside a tomb before it's empty. In other words, peer inside an occupied tomb. And I want to ask you this question. Will you bring spices? Will you bring spices? Uh, when I lead Bible studies, I have a very simple method. And the method is we read the text and then we reread the text. And I always ask, what jumps out at you? And I give people time to say, like, this, this jumps out at me, or this, this, I have a question about this, or this observation. And as I just meditated on this text over and over and over, here are the three things as we look inside this occupied tomb tonight that jumped out at me. And the first is this, and I hope, I hope they are a balm to your soul tonight. I hope they are as beautiful to you as they have been to me to ruminate over these. The first is this that we see in this text that Jesus came to redeem a garden. Jesus came to redeem a garden and all that was broken in the garden. If you back up to the first text that Helen read in chapter 18, where did it take place? Where was Jesus arrested and betrayed? It was in a garden. It was in a garden where Jesus, quote, often met there with His disciples. In other words, it was a place where Jesus and His disciples had intimacy and fellowship and they liked to go to be together and enjoy one another. The disciples could just sort of have God to themselves. And while Jesus was meeting there with most of His disciples, He was also met with his accusers, soldiers, religious leaders, chief priests, officers, a betraying disciple, um, a misplaced zeal out of his own disciple who draws a sword. In other words, in this place of intimacy where Jesus meets with his people, we see torches and lanterns and swords. And then we see in chapter 19, verse 41, in the place where Jesus was crucified, what do we see? There was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Do you think John has a purpose with bracketing the crucifixion narrative that begins in a garden and ends in a garden? I think John is trying in an almost provocative literary way to remind us of the first garden. A garden where Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, had what with God? Perfect 
fellowship. Perfect intimacy. And then what happened? Mischief and evil showed up and destroyed that fellowship between God and His people. And yet, God would not have His people separate from them. If you think about the imagery for just a minute in the tabernacle and then in the temple, if you would have walked in the temple, you've seen all sorts of things, altars and sacrifices and cleansing and all that sort of, but if you've looked around at the top and where the embroidery was, you would have seen artwork that pictured what? A garden. It was God's way of saying, do you remember the garden? Do you remember when I had intimacy with mankind? I am going to once again dwell with my people. See, Joseph and Nicodemus are just doing with Jesus' body what they were supposed to do with a dead body. They were putting it in a new tomb that just happened to be in a garden. See, Jesus' dead body would be like a seed. Uh, What Paul calls a first fruit of our resurrection. A catalyst enlivened by the Holy Spirit to bring life and to bring resurrection. See, they thought this was just your average garden. But God was doing something far greater by putting Jesus in this tomb in a garden. What Jesus' dead body in this tomb, in this garden, is is reminding us that, that God is confronting that evil and that mischief that occurred in the first garden. And it's a God-centered solution to that problem. He's bringing His life to bear to bring sinners back to Him. Because see, what I want us to understand in this first point is Jesus came to redeem a garden. That what happened in that garden was that relationship was broken and God is bringing that relationship back together. Because the cross is judicial. It is punitive. It is all of the above. Everything that Paul says it is. But the whole point of it is so that you and I as mischief makers and sinners and and all those need all that need of reconciliation God is bringing us back to him what begins in a garden and was lost in a garden will be restored in a garden listen to how peter says it and it's actually in your bulletin 1st peter 3:18 We see the judicial and punitive, the legal sense, the the Jesus, the justification sense of what Jesus did. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. But look at the result of it. To bring you and I to God. God does not want to be separate from you. Jesus came in His body And that dead body was put in this tomb, in this garden. Jesus came to redeem what happened in that first garden so that that relationship can be restored. 
When our children were young, we watched all sorts of children's movies and read all sorts of children's books. And I have to admit, one of my favorite books that I ever read with my children was The Secret Garden, if you know that book. Beautiful story of just this little paradise. And I decided in our backyard, I had a pretty janky backyard with a little muddy stream that ran behind it and a real janky aluminum shed that was about to fall down, but I decided I was going to make my own secret garden, and I did. I actually drove a couple hours and got these special rocks, and I did it all right, and I would just go sit there in my janky chair in my little secret garden and, and read my Bible in the mornings and have this special you know, communion with God, right? But that's just a tiny picture of what we see happening here. We see that God is redeeming that broken relationship. That God wants to have that communion with us. So He redeems this garden. I, wanna, I want you to think about this for one application though, before we move on. It's a beautiful thought for me to be sitting out there in my secret garden reading my Bible and having intimacy with God because of what Jesus did. And we should all rejoice in that. But Jesus also came to restore the relational aspects that we have even within the body of Christ. In other words, there are people that you may have relationships with that are broken and you think that Jesus can't put those back together or you've written it off or you said this can't happen or there there are believers in this church or even outside of this church that just aren't connecting this is a reminder that God is seeking to redeem this garden and what was lost in the garden and at the heart of that is relationships that there are people in our midst that you as a believer restored to God should be looking for because they're overlooked and connecting to because they are unconnected. The other passage I was very, very tempted to look at is this beautiful picture of when Jesus is on the cross. And even Jesus in His great suffering and agony, what I would be doing at that moment uh, well, we wouldn't just say I, I would be doing a lot of things that Jesus did not do. I would be screaming for help. I would be complaining. I would be doing. I would not want to do it. I would say, "Get this cup out of here." To be quite honest, and you know what Jesus is doing? He's thinking about his mother and how she's not going to have a son anymore. She's going to be separate. She's she's going to have a broken relationship. And Jesus is saying, hey, John, you take care of her. God is putting, even from the cross, Jesus is putting these relationships together. He's setting the lonely in families, as the psalmist says. But secondly, Jesus came to redeem a garden. Jesus is at work even when we have no idea that He is. Look at these two men very briefly. Joseph of Arimathea. What do you know about Joseph of Arimathea? Probably very little because this is about it. In other words, this guy, all we know about him is that he 
is afraid of the Jews, and yet he courageously asked Pilate for the body of Jesus so that he might have, in that day, a proper burial. He's a guy that you have never heard of until the death of Jesus. And what is he doing? He comes out of nowhere and he's taking care of the body of Jesus. Look at Nicodemus. What do you know about Nicodemus? If you know the Bible at all, go back to John chapter 3. Uh, some people call him Nick at night. That may mean nothing to some of you. But he came to Jesus at night secretly for fear of the Jews. He was legalistic. He was a moralist. He didn't understand Jesus. He didn't have his biblical theology right. He was basing his life off of what he did and his ethics and his good works. And he went away bum-fuzzled and confused. And three years later, he shows back up with a ton of spices. Like 75 pounds, is that what it said? Like, who knows what that cost? Someone did who actually would have studied the text, did not consult a commentary this week, because I just wanted to sit with this text. But it's a lot, isn't it? His heart was overflowing with love for Jesus. In other words, we never know where God is at work, do we? Someone comes out of nowhere and someone's been sitting with the Word of God for three years and it finally takes root. It might take root tonight. I almost said a Christmas Eve service. A Good Friday service. I have a friend I met recently cycling and we're riding and it's always hard to have a conversation when you're riding bikes, especially all my friends try to go hard and fast and outdo one another and I never do that. But he, we start talking, I ask him what he does and how he got here and he's from England and this and that. And um, I invited him, if you're here tonight, raise your hand. Okay, I did ask. I told him, we were joking the other night about this, how I tell stories about my biking friends. And um, He finally asked me what I did, and I said, I'm a minister. And he goes, ah, oh, boy, if I walked into a church, I'd burst into flames. And I thought, I don't even know how to follow up with that. Um, and then he changed the subject. And we didn't talk about it again. I thought, well, there he goes. And he left me. I was like, okay. Well, the other night at dinner, we're talking, and they start asking me questions about Easter and Good Friday, and I invite them to the service. And he says, you know, I've been thinking about religion a lot lately, and everyone at the table that knows him went, what? And one lady said, why? He said, well... I'm getting older, and I attend many more funerals than I do weddings now. And I'm at the latter part of my life, and it's got me thinking. You never realize where God is at work. Finally, Jesus is redeeming this garden, and He's working even when we have no idea where and how He's working. But the third thing here is He's bringing life in a tomb. I want us to think about that for a second. 
they're just doing what they know to do. They are ministering to Jesus' dead body. They do not understand the resurrection. They don't know what's coming. They are just doing the customary way to love their dead friend at this point. Jesus' body, in a sense, you could say, is a tomb now. There is no more Jesus in there. It's just a shell of his body, or it's his body. And they're ministering to his dead body, his tomb, in a tomb. But what I want you to see is this. Look at where they are and what they're doing. Something in them, something compelled them to ask for this body and to enter that tomb and all of their sadness and all of their brokenness in light of a dead body in a tomb, despair, the gig is up, it's over, the kingdom he talked about, but they're there with all of their confusion and all of their chaos and not being able to put two and two together now. This is a normal death now by way of crucifixion, but it's a normal dead body. They are ministering in the presence of death. And I want us to think about this for a second because there's a lot that God throws at us in His sovereignty that we don't have the answers for. Let's admit it. There are situations where if you are ministering to Jesus, literally His living body, or those outside of the church, and you're getting your hands dirty, you are gonna, God is going to put you in situations that you cannot figure out. You cannot solve. Someone's going to call you and say, or they're going to pull you to the side and say, I've been struggling with mental illness. And you're going to go visit them and you're going to pray with them and nothing changes. And you're going to suggest this and nothing changes. And they're going to call you with the same problem. And do you know what this is showing us? That God absolutely equips you to walk into those situations and not have all the answers Basically, just bring spices. Just bring your spices. There are situations in our church right now uh, that are just perplexing. Physical issues, disease, um, elderly. And, and you think, well, maybe I'm not equipped to go into that. Just bring the spices. Can I just say this? I know you're not supposed to, you're just supposed to have a nice cute homily for these services. Taking your children to visit elderly people in the Bible's eyes is more important than sports, academia, and social adjustment. Do you realize that? The Bible says that. To care for widows and orphans. Why? Because where you think you're sort of afraid to go and there's death there and, and stuff you can't handle, you know who's there? Way more than you expect. Jesus is there. 
See, they're just handling Jesus' dead body, and they're just coming with what you're customarily... I'm just going to take the, I'm just going to take the spices. But notice what else it says in conclusion. Look at verse 22. It mentions this day of preparation. See, what they're doing is they're... They have no idea what God has prepared for them, do they? They're just bringing spices to a dead body in a very hopeless situation. And yet... There's this little phrase, yeah, it's the Jewish day of preparation. It's the day of preparation. It is preparing them for what is coming around the bend. It's almost like what an understatement. Because they are preparing Jesus' body for what they have no idea what is coming. I know that's terrible grammar. They are preparing Jesus' body for what they have no idea what is coming. Let me just close by saying this. I've had conversations this week about divorce, custody battles, death, surgery, ERs, mental health, marriage issues, and I hope you have too. Because what seems like a tomb may be the very, very, very place where God is preparing something miraculous. Something off the charts, out of this world. And this text it's almost just inviting us along with the disciples to go to that tomb, to look at that dead body and be just a little excited with anticipation about what God might do. I hope that encourages you to return Sunday to hear the rest of the story about what God does with dead bodies in tombs. That Jesus brings life in a tomb, He redeems a garden, and He is at work in the most unexpected places. Come see. Just bring spices? Let me pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the beautiful pictures here. Very difficult, but these, these words that just make us get on our tiptoes and peek around the corner with expectation. We cannot wait for Sunday. We cannot wait to celebrate, Lord. And it's because of that resurrection life. It's because of what Peter says brings life to our mortal bodies. Life before life after death that we can enter the dark, hard, difficult tombs of this life. Lord, would you meet us here in Christ's name. Amen.